five, four, three, two, one. Welcome. You have entered the Kai Corso Experience. What's going on, Kane Corso community? You have once again reached the airwaves of the Kane Corso Experience, the podcast that tackles everything Kane Corso related. And we talk about the overall ownership experience of having this breed. I am your host, Johnny Doe. Welcome. If you are a new listener, thank you for giving us a try. Um, this is primarily for Kane Corso owners. Uh, no matter if you're new or you're a veteran owner, we can all learn from one another, but especially to my newbies out there because I myself have had a Kane Corso for just under two years. I'm a newbie, and I realized that there there is a community out there, but there's not as much resources for the specific breed of the Kane Corso um, in in the mainstream. There's some YouTube channels of people that are breeders or more, um, I don't want to say entertainers, but uh, there's there's some good resources out there, people that are coming from my perspective. Um, and then there's some professional trainers that have some some fantastic things, but uh, no one trainer has it all, has all the answers uh, because everybody is um, experience is just a little bit different. So what I like to do is share my experience, some of my uh, victories, some of my successes, but a lot of my failures and things that I'm still working on with my Kane Corso Romulus um, and talk about some things that you rarely hear about, uh, health issues, temperament issues, uh, things that a normal pet owner might run into, not somebody that is breeding grand champions at uh, AKC, um, you know, title holders and, and dog shows and, and things like that. Um, what I run into a lot when I was looking for information on the breed is just people that are so steeped in uh, the community that they are only getting the best of the best dogs and they are not that they don't have great advice, but it was a little discouraging to see um, to see their um, their experiences always let me back up. Their experiences were usually based on having um, fantastic bloodlines and coming from more of a trainer slash breeder perspective. And I didn't see very many well-articulated voices of just the everyday pet owner. And I fell in love with this breed so extensively that I really felt the need to be able to articulate um, some of the things that I've learned and 
maybe share some experiences that might help some future owners or current owners of this breed. I have owned dogs my entire life. I am not a professional trainer or nutritionist um, or podcast host, even though I've been podcasting for about four years. Uh, I do this as a hobby. I do this for fun. Um, So if I talk about a specific trainer, if I talk about nutrition, uh, toys, whatever, whatever pet product that I might mention on these airwaves, uh, it's not a paid promotion. I don't get paid to do this podcast. I don't have uh, any um, advertisers. I don't get paid to promote anything. So I think that that's important for the integrity of what I'm saying. It's it's based on my experience, good and bad. Um, with that being said, the topic of this podcast, of this episode, is um, I want to talk about some of the uh, trainers, that some of the professionals that I have consulted, quote unquote, I haven't had a direct um, connection with them, but I consume some of their training materials or take some of their training classes or just observe their methods. And uh, maybe I can turn you on. I've mentioned, I think, both of them before, but I might go into some of their stuff a little bit more in depth. I'm not going to teach their stuff. I just want to shed a light on where I get some of my most current information. And I wanted to be able to talk about my dog history um, and how I came to the breed of Cane Corsos and um, what knowledge that I had coming into the breed and what I feel like should be at least the base level of knowledge that you have uh, when getting into the breed. One thing that I realized when uh, I was first um, doing research on the Cane Corsos was that pretty much a a resounding consensus in the community, just the dog community, is it's really not for first-time dog owners or just novice dog owners in general. I definitely didn't feel like I was a novice dog owner, but I can tell you that uh, my, my two years with Romulus has been challenging, but not not anything that I felt like that I was um, in over my head or something that I couldn't handle or figure out a solution to. Um, so I'm going to go over a brief history of, of of me and my, I should say, my dog history. Uh, some of the things that I feel like is important to know and what makes me unique in the dog world, I guess, and as far as my perspective goes, maybe a little bit about Romulus as well, and then I'm going to talk about some of these uh, trainers and maybe some of the forums that I frequent to get a lot of great information and great resources for you guys out there. As always, please, if you haven't subscribed, um, you know, I'm trying to grow this podcast for no other reason than to provide information and get more people in the fold. Um, like I said, I don't make any money off this, and not that it, it's a bad thing if if you did, but I don't want you to think that, hey, this is you know I'm just doing it to uh, 
to try to get some money or something. Uh, I'm a active duty member of the military. Um, I have a full-time job and this is for the love of my boy Romulus, who's laying uh, next to me right now. And, uh, I, I enjoy the, uh, medium of podcasting. I do have another podcast. I don't promote it on this because it's, I like to separate, uh, my, my two, uh, voices, if you will. Okay. So my history as a dog owner started when I was just a small child. Um, I remember always being infatuated with dogs. I had a dog as a small child, but I do not remember it, but I do remember uh, playing with my neighbor's dog. I remember my neighbor had a, um, I grew up uh, kind of all over the place, but uh, I shouldn't say all over the place, a, like three different states. But when I was a young boy in northern Minnesota, my neighbors had a St. Bernard who had puppies. And a very famous story in my family, my mom loves to tell it is, you know, I, I would go in the backyard and, and gather up all these puppies and put them in a wagon and, and give them rides around the neighbor's house and stuff. And, and I was, you know, this is back in the 70s when people, neighbors were, were you know, friendly with each other's kids and you would just walk into your neighbor's house and walk in their backyard and, and things like that. And, and I remember just, and I, and some of my earliest memories are of these little puppies and playing with these dogs. My second memory of interaction with a dog is I wear, I wear this interaction on my face to this day. I'm almost, well, I'm 46 years old and I have a, a pretty substantial scar on the on my forehead um, between my eyes that a dog gave me when I was five years old because I decided to feed a strange dog and was kind of messing with him while I was feeding him and not respecting his body language, understanding his body language, or just understanding dogs in general, and he attacked me. Uh, I always say bit my face off, but it wasn't that dramatic. I just, he, he gave me a pretty good bite. I need some stitches and lo and behold, I have this great scar and great story. It traumatized my sister to the point that she was frightened of dogs for probably the next 20 years of her life. She didn't own any dogs, didn't want to be around dogs. Uh, me on the other hand, it had absolutely no impact in the sense of I, it didn't teach me anything. I, I went back to doing the exact same stuff of uh, just wanting to interact with every stray dog. I was the kid um, that loved all the neighbor's dogs and wanted to play with them. I then moved to Missouri to live with my grandparents and my mom as well. After my mom and dad got a divorce, I'm, I, we lived with our, my grandparents for nine years. My grandparents were extremely strict uh, with everything, but they did not allow pets. They didn't want dogs, uh, cats, anything. And I was a lover of all things dogs. And I would befriend anyone in the neighborhood who had a dog that would allow me to go play with the dog. Um, I would carry, um, things like, 
bacon and ham and turkey with me around the neighborhood and trying to entice stray dogs back when there were stray dogs. (laughs) Uh, And I would entice these stray dogs with the food to come back to my house and I would hide them in my bedroom. And sometimes for days upon end until my bedroom just stunk of high heaven and then they would find this dog. And I would always use the excuse that the dog just followed me home. And so I knew that I was, I always had a connection with dogs. <coughs> I always had, uh, let me grab some water. Um, I always had a, a connection where when, when I would go over to a friend's house that had a dog, the dog always liked me. I always felt like I spoke uh, the dog's language. Now, I wasn't a popular kid growing up. Um, I always had friends, but I wasn't like uh, the cult of personality where I was just, you know, the life of the party or anything like that. I was, and I still am to this day, I'm very much a loner. Um, I don't have a lot of friends that I hang out with. I have friends, but I just, I'm not one of those people that likes to be around a lot of people. And I wasn't back then either. I was kind of a loner. And uh, I always liked the aspect of, uh, a, the idea of a boy and his dog. So I was always envious of my friends who had, who had dogs. Um, so I lived with my grandparents till I was about 14. And then we, we moved out. Um, uh, my, my mom, myself and my sister, uh, my mom finally could afford her own place. We lived in some very low rent government housing, uh, these townhouses, and they had a small backyard, a small fenced-in backyard that was probably like 30 by 30, you know, uh, 30 feet by 30 feet, very small, but it had you had your own little fence. And so I begged my mom to let me get a dog. Begged her, begged her, begged her. But we had lived in a small townhouse, the three of us. We didn't have a huge yard, and my mom was like, no, I don't think it's a good time. You know, financially, we were definitely not very well off. Uh, so, you know, dogs are expensive, vet bills, food, yada, yada. So I went without a dog for a couple more years. Lo and behold, well, I shouldn't say a couple more years, about a year. And then when I was around 15, a neighbor up the street had um, some Labradors and or a Labrador and it had puppies, a litter of puppies that were not purebred Labrador. I don't know what the other dog was that it mated with, but they just wanted to get rid of the puppies because, um, well, the you know they couldn't sell them or anything, so it wasn't a purebred dog. So I went up there, and they had one dog left, who was kind of the runt of the litter. And I literally took him home, showed him to my mom, knowing that my mom was also a, a an animal lover. But she was more of a pragmatist. She she didn't she knew she'd be end up taking care of it and everything. But I also knew if I could show my mom this puppy, she might fall in love with it. So I begged her, begged her, begged her, begged her to let us keep it. And it worked. That was my first dog. His name was Jeepers. He was a Labrador uh, mostly, um, and he had all the traits of a Labrador. 
And I knew nothing about dogs, about training them, about what kind of care, discipline. All I wanted to do is spend every waking moment with it, playing with it, um, trying to teach it commands the best that I knew how. Um, And unfortunately, I still had to go to school and leave it home alone. And it tore up the house and it would bark and eat up the furniture and every scenario that you hear people say about their dogs. Luckily for me, I was 15. I didn't pay bills. Um, and my mom, it was a source of stress for her. But um, I, it, was never, um, it was never on my mind to get rid of the dog or hers, I don't think, either. Because we just f- try to figure it out. And I was well in, well over my head, but I remember having this great bond with this dog and just loving coming home and playing with him. Now, like I said, we had this very small backyard. And we had neighbors who just moved in. Uh, we had this dog maybe about a year when they moved in, and they had a new baby girl. And my mom at this point, it's like jeepers can't be out be inside all day while we're at work or at school because he just tears out the place we're going to leave him in the backyard we'll give him a dog house and he's going to be a backyard dog and jeepers didn't like that i guess because after i got on the bus and went to school i guess he just barked pretty much all day long to the point where these neighbors with a newborn baby could not take it anymore because you know our townhouses are like attached and they just couldn't they couldn't deal with it um, I can't remember what they did. If they talked to my mom, if they just called the management company, I don't know exactly how it went down. But long story short is that they complained to the point where we, um, because I think the rule in these townhouses where you couldn't have a dog over 25 pounds and cheapers was like 60 pounds or something. And, um, well, they found out we we're in violation because the neighbors complained and, we had 30 days to get rid of the dog. Of course, I was crushed. Um, I remember the only saving grace in this scenario was my mom was able to find a family friend that lived um, on a farm that had a lot of land that would, was going to take Jeepers and Jeepers. He wa- he wanted to play fetch and run all the time anyway. So, you know, in hindsight, it was the best for him. But selfishly, I was devastated to lose my dog. And I, re- I still remember vividly being 16 years old, laying in my bed at night crying with his collar underneath my pillow. And I had like a little memorial on my wall, like he died or something, which he didn't. Uh, he's dead now, but <laughs> unless he's a, a cyborg, because um, this was many, many moons ago. I mean, this is 30 years ago. So um, that was my first experience having a dog. I didn't have really another experience until um, probably... Four years later, when I moved out and started living on my own, I had girlfriends who had dogs, um, but I never had my own dog, and again, my own dog, until I was 25 years old. And then when I was 25, um, 
I got a boxer named Vegas. Um, I was in, yeah, I was married at the time or getting married. Um, no, I was in a long-term relationship that would turn into a marriage. How about that? And, uh, I got Vegas as a puppy and, and was one of, uh, the second time I guess in my life that I had a dog from a puppy and, and raised it. Vegas and I, uh, like all the other dogs I run into, I had an instant connection with her and so much to the point where, um, you know, I'm embarrassed to say this, but, uh, when I would leave for work, I was, um, I was more excited to see my dog than, than, uh, any other family member when I came home, <laughs> I was married and had some stepkids, but, um, I loved that dog so much. And I built her a dog house and I did a lot of training with her. I remember being so proud cause I had her house broken in like four days and, uh, she was a great dog. Um, and I had her for about 10 years before she died of cancer. Uh, but in those 10 years, I also had a Australian shepherd. I had, uh, three dachshunds and, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was, let me see, think here. What else? Oh, I, um, I've had two collies or not collies, um, um, oh, spaniels, cocker spaniels. Um, they weren't mine. They were family dogs or belonged to a significant other, but I, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I end up being the one taking care of them. Um, and then being the dog person at one time, we had one, two, three dogs at once. Uh, we also dog sat for neighbors when they left town. There was one neighbor in particular, it seemed like every other week they're leaving town and they always dropped the dog off with me. And, um, and I felt like I raised that dog, um, since it was a little puppy. Um, and it was a, a boxer. Um, so I had lots of experiences with, with boxers. Um, and that was my favorite breed. I loved the boxers for, uh, many, many reasons. They were great guardians. Um, now that I know a little bit more about dogs, they're more of a watchdog than a guard dog. Um, but they were still great dogs. They were good family pets. Um, and they were a lot of fun. Uh, not, not too stupid, but not too smart. <laughs> that, that nice little Goldilocks zone where you could train them, but they weren't so smart that they were stubborn, if you know what I mean. After that, um, I didn't have a dog for a couple years because I got a divorce. Uh, in the in the time, I let me back up. When I had Vegas, my my boxer for ten years, uh, I was in the military as well. It was when I first joined the military, and not only going to basic training, but other military schools, and later going on uh, multiple deployments. And my year in Afghanistan um, was extremely hard to not be around my dog. My year in Afghanistan as an infantryman, um, we had our own dogs overseas. They weren't working dogs. They weren't military dogs. They were wild dogs. And these wild dogs would come onto our little combat outpost and we would feed them and befriend them. And, you know, when you're, I was in a little small combat outpost and there's only about 30 of us there. Uh, of course you get lonely 
and dogs are fantastic when you're lonely. And me being the dog lover that I am, anytime these dogs came into our bee huts and uh, we were able to hang out with them, uh, was a good day. And we probably had seven of them. And, and all the guys kind of shared them. And uh, we had one little puppy uh, was named Gangster. I remember him. And then we had this huge dog named, um, oh, what was his name? Harris is what we named him. And um, these dogs would just hang out. They just came on our base and just hung out. And we just kept them there. And anytime we get our body armor and our weapons, they knew we were going out on patrol and they would come with us. And uh, they got us in trouble in a couple villages in Afghanistan because uh, Harris would always kill the chickens and we'd have to pay the, the local imam, <laughs> some, give him some money uh, so he wouldn't get pissed that Harris killed his chickens. Um, but what was great in Afghanistan is there's a lot of wild dogs. And, uh, you know, a lot of them have rabies. A lot of them can mess you up. And traveling with a pack of dogs that were kind of loyal to you, they scared off all the other wild dogs. If they, if there's a pack of wild dogs, Harris was such a brute. I mean, he would take care of business. And th that was just fantastic to have those dogs. I remember we got attacked one night and our, our cop got hit with some rockets and we lost one of our dogs, one of our dogs got um, got killed um, well he was mortally wounded and we put him down but um, we we loved our dogs um, unfortunately if there's anybody in the military listening to this um, the good thing about being what we call away from the flagpole and being in a small combat outpost and remote part of Afghanistan is well, you don't have a lot of rank and a lot of people around. Now, having pets in the military, uh, especially in a combat zone, is a no-no. It is not only discouraged, but it's against regulation. And I'm not going to get into the whole story, but let's just say some colonel found out that we had dogs. It's not sanitary for whatever reasons, you know. Trust me, it wasn't sanitary for other reasons, but and the dogs had little to do with it. But anyway... I digress. We got a memo, or at least the cop commander got a memo. Cop means combat outpost, by the way. Uh, the cop commander got a memo from this colonel saying, get rid of the dogs. Now, when you're in eastern Afghanistan, get rid of the dogs doesn't mean take them to a shelter. Doesn't mean rehoming them. Doesn't mean uh, driving them out somewhere and dumping them. It means killing them. And so... We had, uh, we had the order to, to, to kill them. Of course, me being the avid dog lover that I am, I refused to do it. I couldn't do it. But you always have, uh, in any infantry platoon, you always got some psychopath that just loves killing shit. So lo and behold, I remember that fateful day when a young uh, specialist, I believe he was, um, took the life of all of our dogs by the order of a colonel. And uh, it was tough. That was, that was a tough day. It made me miss my dog Vegas that much more. And when I got back from Afghanistan, after uh, many, many combat missions, um, you know, I had a lot of marital problems. I had a lot of uh, PTSD. 
I had a lot of anger issues, just issues in general. I'm not a drinker, so I didn't go into the bottle, but I did have a lot of anger uh, and destructive issues. But I can tell you every time my dog was around, it made me feel that much better. And Vegas, I took her everywhere with me. And if she was with me, I was a lot more calm. Um, and I had some of my darkest days um, the couple years after I came back from Afghanistan. Um, I, I had some bad days. And my dog was the one person, quote unquote, the one living creature that did not judge me, didn't see me as different, as broken, as wounded, as anything. It just saw me as dad. Um, and people, and this is in, I was in Afghanistan in 2009, 2010. Um, the heart of, you know, really the, the, the major part of the Afghanistan conflict um, was, you know, the, the most deadly years were the years that I was there. And, um, and when you come back, you know, everyone sees you as a wounded and broken person. And I remember more than anything, just feeling like my dog, um, yeah, I didn't have to explain anything. I didn't have to tell my dog any stories that I wasn't comfortable with. I didn't have to explain to people why I was acting a certain way, why I didn't want to be around people, or I was nervous at, on 4th of July, or why I didn't like it when cars were uh, tailgating me too closely. Um, my dog, I didn't have to explain anything to. That's the wonderful thing about dogs is they just... They don't see your flaws, um, especially if they're physical flaws or emotional flaws, as long as you are treating them right um, and you, you are giving them consistency with um, emotions to them and how you're treating them. Uh, they're, they're, they're always excited to see you. They don't judge you. They just, they want to be around you and they make you feel valued and important. Um, and my dog definitely helped me get, get me through that. And I had other dogs too. I had a, a dachshund and a, um, a Australian shepherd at the time, but my, my boxer was, was mine. It wasn't like a family dog. It was mine. And, um, she helped me get, get me through those dark times. Uh, once I got a divorce and I moved out, um, I I uh, lived by myself in a small little apartment that didn't take dogs, and so my dog had to stay with my ex-wife. And within a week of me moving out, my dog, um, who was diagnosed with cancer, um, we had to put her down because she just. She couldn't walk anymore. And it was very poetic because as soon as I wasn't around her, she was like, I'm ready to, to leave this world. And um, I was able to be there with her when, when she was uh, 
uh, put down and went peacefully. And uh, it was definitely, it closed that chapter of my life. Took me a while to get back on my feet. I was in some rental properties for a couple years before I got my next dog. Well, I should say about a year and a half I was in a rental property before, well, I was in another rental property and I kind of begged the landlord like, hey, can I get a dog? (laughs) And the landlord's like, yeah, I'm going to up your rent, but um, you can get a dog. And I got a, um, somebody I knew that just got back from Hawaii um, who was stationed over there in the army and they had a old English bulldog that they were wanting to rehome because it bit one of one of their kids. They just had a couple young kids. They had this bulldog for like five years. Fantastic dog, but it bit their kids. They didn't know why. They weren't around it. And they, the, the wife got nervous because um, they're twin boys. Um, it, it was one of those cases where you can definitely tell that it was the kids not understanding how to treat the dog. And the dog just was like, I ain't putting up with this because it hasn't been around kids for five years. So long story short, they wanted to rehome it for the, to the right people that didn't have kids or anything. And and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, she's never had a dog in her entire life. And we went over to their house and interviewed and they let us meet the dog and my wife just fell in love with it. And I said, let's get this. Let's get this for our first dog. And so Rocky, my old English bulldog was the first dog that my wife ever had and the first one I had since since my boxer died. And Rocky, it's hard to say, but to this day, he's probably the best dog I've ever had. He lived in Hawaii <laughs> the first five years of his life. How great of a life is that? Um, I've never been to Hawaii, but this dog spent five years there. How crazy is that? And Rocky was just a fantastic, he was probably the easiest dog, probably the best dog to ever have as a first-time dog owner. He was uh, loyal, obedient. He was so well-behaved, no behavior issues. No, I mean, you could leave him in the house for 12 hours straight without him having an accident. He didn't have any eating issues. Um, he loved to exercise and play and, and um no dominance issue, no aggression, aggression issues, just a fantastic dog. Now, he did get kind of nippy <laughs> if you got in his face and messed with him a little too much when he wasn't in the mood, hence the f- reason why he got rehomed. But I actually love that. I mean, I have a giant scar on my face to prove that I don't learn from that kind of crap. And uh, there's many times that Rocky, um, yeah, nipped me and drew blood because I was it wasn't his fault because I was an idiot. <laughs> and uh, But he was a fantastic dog. Um, now, he was still a bulldog, which means I, I know a lot of people go, oh, health issues. Well, old English bulldogs can be extremely healthy. And um, he was very healthy, a very healthy dog. Um, had no health issues with him for the longest time. The... Only issue that almost every bulldog owner has, besides health issues, is stubbornness. Um, they are extremely hard to train. They are almost too smart for their own good, and they don't want to do anything they don't want to do. So you can walk them, you can play with them, but they're going to do what they want to do. And if they don't want to do something, good luck trying to get a bulldog to do it. You could, you could 
punish them. You can like a Cane Corso gets their feelings hurt very easy if you uh, don't give them some attention. Not a bulldog. Bulldog's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> they don't care. They just, uh, they don't have that same disposition. And so um, they're loyal in a, in a certain type of way. At least he was loyal in a certain type of way. But he was also probably the easiest dog to kidnap. Um, we would have friends come over and like walk him or you know, let him outside if we we're working all day or something. And he would literally go outside and see if they left their car door open. He would just jump in the car because he loved car rides. And I'm like, man, this anybody could kidnap this dog. And he was one of those dogs that he doesn't he didn't act any necessarily any different with me than he did some stranger he just met. He 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 was just chill. He was the most easygoing dog you've ever met in your life. He was a fantastic companion for me and a fantastic companion for my wife. Still being in the military, I had to leave a lot. And uh, my wife um, was extremely nervous about having a dog. And she is not the typical dog person in the sense that she's not... Um, she didn't have those those instincts of just knowing how to discipline a dog or knowing how to train a dog. Um, she's very soft spoken, and um, she, you know, um, it was difficult for her in the beginning to really get the confidence that she could handle, especially a bigger dog. He was about seventy five pounds, um, so. He definitely gave her the confidence and, you know, if I was gone, I remember I was gone for some training five weeks and, um, and it was right after we got him and he did marvelous. She didn't have any issues with him and he was just an easygoing dog and he just died about a year and a half ago. Um, we had Romulus for maybe Romulus was about six months old when Rocky passed five months, something like that. Um, and he lived to be a little over 11 years old, which is, you know, pretty good for a bulldog, an old English bulldog. Um, and he really didn't have any health issues, um, until kind of the end. Um, but, uh, I'll, you know, save that for another, another podcast maybe, but he was a fantastic dog. When we first had him, we had him for maybe a year and a half and we got another bulldog, just a regular English bulldog who we still have named Bruno. If you look at my Instagram page, if you look at, um, well, he has his own Instagram page called Pig Lion Bulldog. Um, but if you look at my Instagram page, my the Connie Corso X, you might see some pictures of him too because him and Romulus uh, have to share a house together. And uh, so... So before we had Romulus, we had two bulldogs. And that was our life for many, many years. And when, um, oh, a couple years ago, when, well, about three years ago, I decided, well, I shouldn't say I decided. My wife and I were talking about getting a puppy or getting a dog. She's never had a dog from when it was a puppy because my other bulldog we got when he was a year and a half. Uh, he was a rehome too. Um, by the way, if you're into bulldogs, it's very easy to get a rehome bulldog. You might have to pay a little bit of money, but um, 
people don't realize how much work and how expensive it is having a bulldog. So there's a lot of people that rehome them. I'm sure it's the same way with a lot of different dog breeds, but man, there's a lot of people rehoming bulldogs. But anyway, I digress. My wife never had a dog from a puppy. And I was always telling her it's a completely different experience having a dog where you're the only, you know, person that they know that's ever taken care of them besides their litter mates and their their biological parents and maybe the breeder. Um, it's a completely different thing to raise a dog, housebreak a dog, train a dog, um, from, from jump street where it knows nothing. Um, and then you teach it everything. And so my wife was wanting a puppy. So we started researching breeds and I've always been into big dogs. Now my boxer was 85 pounds. My old English bulldog was 75 pounds and that's a big dog. Now Iconic Corso is a extra large breed or even a giant breed. Um, depending on what type of Connie Corso you get, what bloodline and, and so on and so forth. Um, but I started researching and I always liked the Mastiff breeds, especially St. Bernard's. Um, a lot of people say that they aren't Mastiffs, but they're kind of part of the, the Mastiff, uh, them Great Danes, you know, stuff like that, even though they don't have Mastiff in their name, they, they there's definitely some, some, uh, some lineage there that uh, they've been crossbred with some some mastiffs. Anyway, I liked large dogs, and so I wanted my wife to experience a a bigger dog than what we had. You know, even though our bulldogs were, you know, my other bulldog is seventy pounds, Rocky was seventy five. They're very short and they're stout and they're stubby, uh, but like a big dog is just a different experience. I not a fan of very small dogs. So I, well, I knew I needed at least a medium-sized dog. We already had two kind of medium-sized dogs. So anyway, so we were doing a lot of research. And through my research, I was like, okay, what are the most loyal dogs? And I would find a list of the most loyal dogs. And I was like, well, what, what dogs are smart? You know, the smartest dogs. What are the strongest dogs? What are the best, you know, the healthiest dogs? What are the, and like I said, I'm in the military, so I leave a lot. My wife is, she, she doesn't like guns. I have guns, but she doesn't like to use them. I've, I've tried to train her on them, but, and she gets nervous if I leave for a long time. And I, I wanted a dog that would protect the house and would protect her. So I was like, okay, what are the best protection dogs and guardian dogs? And so when you cross all those things, there's only about four or five breeds that come up. And Cane Corso kept coming up, kept coming up. And we found, uh, I found a couple YouTube channels that are Cane Corso breeders and uh, a couple like top 10 lists that Cane Corsos were at the top of the list. And I started being intrigued just from a, you know, a man standpoint of like, man, this is a manly dog. Um, but not only that, but the biggest thing selling point to me was one, you did not have to train them to be a guardian. A boxer is kind of like this where, they are a, a, like right out of the womb, they are a good watchdog. They watch everything. They bark in anything that's around their house or their yard. Well, Cane Corso is not a watchdog. It's a guard dog. I mean, it will guard you. So it's not just your house, but you when you're out on a walk 
or whatever territory that it's in your car. And so it's not just a watcher, it's a guardian. Um, so that was pretty high on my list. And then the number one factor that I noticed from all my research is how extremely loyal they are to their owners, uh, more so than any other person. Like other people, they're just like ambivalent to. They don't care about other people. They don't want to be pet. They don't care about affection. But their owners, when they come home, they are so attached to them that they will give them unconditional love and affection. Um, that they're smart, they're a relatively healthy breed, they're an active breed, so we wanted something, my wife and I are pretty active people, but we didn't want something that's like crazy active, like a Belgian Malinois that's just, you're just, they're just bouncing off the walls all the time. So we needed something we could wear out, but something that was looking to do something every day with us. Um, and so after much deliberation, uh, I narrowed it down to about th three different breeds and they were all like your different Mastiff type breeds, your Dogo Argentinos, your Cane Corsos. Um, I was looking at, uh, the Dog de Bordeaux, the Borbel, uh, St. Bernard was always on the list. Um, Great Dane, but the Cane Corso I kept seeing as, as, um, the dog that, um, more than anything hit or checked the most blocks for what I was looking for. And the one thing that I remember is it's not for brand new dog owners. And I was like, okay, my wife she's still very much a novice, but I feel like I'm pretty experienced with dogs. And I just, like I said, I feel like I've always had a connection with dogs. I always felt like I spoke their language. I never had any formal training, but I always felt it's very intuitive for me to, to, uh, give a reward and punishment to a dog. Um, I am in the military, so I'm a, just a little bit more structured and disciplined than the average person. Um, and so I find it very easy to live with a dog and train a dog. I'm talking about just the basics as far as your behavior goes. Okay. Um, if you're a kind of course owner, you know that you can't just sweet talk a kind of course. So you have to be firm with it. And so some people are just like, Hey, how's it going? And, and they're that type of dog owner. You might not want to get a kind of course. <laughs> they'll walk all over you. But um, so anyway, I'm not like that. And so I was like, okay, let's see. I think a Connie Corso would be good because it will teach my wife. She'll have to up her game a little bit because we'll have him as a puppy. He'll be easy to control. She can get her confidence up, um, all that good stuff. And it's going to check a lot of blocks for me. And so we started researching breeders and I found a breeder uh, that was a couple hours from my house. Um and unfortunately, it wasn't a great breeder. She was more of a backyard breeder, only had a couple litters. But the big thing that I was looking for, not price, but I was looking for is someone that um, was from that community, that was well known in the community, uh, that their her dogs that she uh, sold were still in the community and the parents were on site. Those, those were the big things. Um, and she had them health checked 
tested and all that other stuff and registered. Um, and that's who we got our Kanye Corso from, Romulus. And he was the second pick out of the litter. We didn't get the pick of the litter. We got the second pick. We actually went there for a female, but when we got there, we kind of fell in love with Romulus. I mean, if anybody's ever picked out a puppy, sometimes that's how it, how it goes. We were lucky enough. Like I said, she was a smaller breeder, so um, even though there was lots of people had appointments to see the dogs, we essentially got to pick, I mean, got to meet all of them and pick the one that we wanted. Um, and we brought him home. And, you know, I have begun to tell the stories of and chronicling um, all of our trials and tribulations with this breed and this particular dog. Um, and it's been a fantastic thing overall. But there was definitely some heartburn. And I will tell you right now, Romulus is not a um, a perfect specimen. He does have dysplasia in both of his front elbows. Um, and he is probably not the best social dog from a genetic standpoint. Now, he's come a long way. And if you watch some of the videos that I have on social media, you see him at the dog park. You see him interacting with other dogs and people and stuff like that. So for some reason, every time I say he's not the most social, uh, I'll get people criticizing that my dog's not social. It's it's socialized, okay? It's just I understand what a perfect specimen is, and that's not him. If I was – I. If I was to breed uh, Connie Corsos, I would not breed Romulus. I love him. He's my best friend. He's, I mean, he's the best dog I've ever had. And that's saying a lot because I've had some fantastic dogs. But I wouldn't breed him. He's not breed quality. But but that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because there's a lot of people that they have great dogs that aren't going to be AKC champions. But it doesn't mean they're not great dogs. And it doesn't mean that you give up on those dogs because they're not champions. That's what some breeders do. Some. If you're a breeder, don't get butt hurt. But some. You'll see breeders, and I know uh, quite a few, that if a dog is like Romulus, they do not have them in their program, and they will uh, sell them as a pet, and they don't want anything to do with them. And they want to make sure other people don't breed them, which is great. Don't breed those dogs. But what I'm saying is that they would never keep a dog like that for a pet. And so you'll get lectured by people, uh, <laughs> some on the forums that will sit there and tell you um, why you shouldn't get a dog with certain genetic uh, problems or you should have found a better breeder, you should have done that, blah, 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 blah. That doesn't change the fact that I have a two-year-old Connie Corso. None of that matters. What matters is that that is an opportunity when you have a dog that has maybe a doesn't have the best genetics, you can learn a lot from that. And I saw it as an opportunity. Like I said, he's um, when when I say he didn't have the best genetics, this is what I mean. Now, um, structurally, he's fine besides his elbows. Okay, and and we've I, I did a whole podcast on his elbow issues and how we rectified that and how we're living with that and, and it's all good. Um, but I'm talking about his behavior stuff. Um, it's just because his 
disposition is just a little bit more fearful. Now, he's not the most fearful dog, but he has a little bit of that in him and enough that you have to be on your toes as a as a uh, someone that's training this dog. I've seen Kane Corsos and I've seen people with YouTube channels and stuff and at least when you listen to them, their Kane Corso just be around any person and 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 it's they have them off the leash all the time. No problem. That's not my dog. My dog is he's fine with certain people, but other people, like there's this homeless guy that walks around our town and my dog when he sees him at the park, he does not like him. He actually was off the leash once and went after the guy in the sense of he, my dog didn't attack him. He just ran up, barked, stood in front of him and just barked at him. And then I went and put Romulus on the leash, but he just kind of froze him in place. (laughs) He didn't like him. He didn't trust that guy. And so my, that's what I mean about fear-based because anybody that, that dog, because if, if he had perfect genetics, and uh, on top of that, great training, okay? And he doesn't have great training. He has good training because I'm his trainer. <laughs> and I'm not great. I'm good. But I'm definitely not great. Um, if he had perfect genetics and great training, um, a, a Kane Corso usually sees somebody that is odd. And when I say odd, they walk with a limp. There's something off with them. Um they, the way that their posture is, you know, if maybe they're dressed a certain way or have their hood up or something, they will, Iconic Corsa will alert to that. When I say alert to that, their body language will change. They'll key in on that person, but they won't bark. They won't lunge. They won't attack. My dog will, will do the exact same thing unless those people get within, let me say, 15 feet. If they get within 15 feet, I have to give my dog a redirection, which means that I have to give him a command, get him focused on me, and then we can walk past those people, no problem. But if he, if I let him focus on them, he will bark at them. If they come toward him, he will lunge at them where I have to give him a heart correction with the with the uh, prong collar, okay? He's not gonna just lunge at them. He doesn't see them from you know across the way and tries to lunge at them. He didn't bark at them from afar. He didn't even bark at them if if we're walking past them. If they interact, if they come toward us, he definitely will. Like I can walk by that homeless guy, but my dog is just very, very keyed on him. And his tail is straight up in the air. So um so that's what I mean is when you have a dog that has any kind of fear base. Um, and I, and I do think it's, it's fear-based. It's not aggression. And once you, um, interact with your dog more, you can start to see where the differences are. I've, I've talked about it in previous podcasts, why I think it's fear-based. It's not aggression. Uh, I'm not going to rehash all that stuff, but it's definitely not aggression. It's, it's more fear-based, which to be honest with you is harder and, and worse. <laughs> Sometimes aggression is a little bit easier depending on what they're aggressive toward and why they're aggressive. With that being said, he is a fantastic dog. If a perfect genetic specimen with great trainings at 100%, Romulus is probably 90 to 95%. So I have nothing to complain about. And um, I think with some more enhanced training, we can get him up to 97%. 98%. He'll never be at 100% though. 
Okay. So, um, that is my kind of my history, uh, with dogs. I haven't had the most extensive history, but I've been around dogs for 30 years. I've trained a lot of dogs. When I say a lot, I mean my own personal pets. I've trained pets. I haven't trained anyone else's dog besides when I'm watching other people's dogs or I'm interacting with other people's dogs, uh, but I'm not a professional trainer. I am, like I the analogy that I used in the last podcast is, if you have a kid, you're not a professional parent. You're just, you know, you're you're not getting, you didn't go to school to be a parent. There's certain things that are intuitive and you can pick up certain things from other parents, from experts and stuff, but you do the bulk of the work and then you consult a professional as needed. And that's what I do. Uh, as I, I consult professionals to make sure I'm doing the right thing, but 95% of the training has to come from me. Especially, I and I'm so passionate that I, I truly believe, especially with the Conic Corso, you got to really do so much of the training and especially the interaction. It's great to work with a professional, but you just got to make sure once that professional leaves that you are doing those things and that you're structured and regimented with those with that breed. And, and you're going to get great results, uh, just like I have. Um, I've, I've been, um, lucky, um, that, that our training has, has gone as well as it has. Um, my wife being brand new, um, to, this is her first, like I said, dog that she's raised. Um, she's, man, she's upped her game a lot in the last year. Um, and she is learning to be more assertive with the dog to kind of take that quote unquote alpha role and to really be deliberate with her training and actions. But that being said, I'm doing most of the training. I'm doing most of the behavior modification stuff with Romulus, and it goes very well. I've articulated in past episodes what issues we're still having with him, and I'll update those from time to time in future episodes, and it's always a work in progress. Like I said, he'll never be at 100%, but um, there's days that he's definitely at 85%. Um, today on his, on his, uh, long walk that we, we did, we interacted with lots of different people and dogs and stuff like that. He was, you know, 99%. The, the 1% he wasn't was, uh, um, there was a part where he was off the leash and I gave him a heel command and he was coming to heel. And then he stopped and turned around and, and, uh, went to sniff something. Why? Because there was a bunch of blood. Um, for, I probably from a deer or something that was shot because we're not too far from from hunting areas. I live close to the mountains, and uh, there was some blood on the ground from something, some kind of animal. And my dog, and I'm sure a lot of other dogs, the treat or the 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 stimulus that I was giving him uh, for that heel command, that blood was more interesting to him. And I haven't cracked that nut where I can get him to ignore that other stimulus. And I don't know that I'll ever get him there. Some dogs you can, some you can't. And that's what I mean when I talk about this podcast and why I do it is because I come from a pragmatic approach of, I'm not trying to sell you something so I don't have to show you only victories. I I can also talk about the struggles and the reality of the situations. 
my biggest beef with most professional trainers uh, videos that you see on YouTube, they only show when their training is working, but very few of them uh, will show when it's not. The, the, the couple trainers that I'm going to segue into that I'm going to talk about um, are the best ones that I've found, at least when I say best, it means that work best with with um, what my uh, personality is and training methods that I, I'm already comfortable with, okay? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that now. Um, the first person that I really discovered, um, now, of course, there's people like Caesar Milan that I think are fantastic, but they're they're more of a general, you know, kind of a, he's, he's kind of the Walmart of dog training, if, if you will. Not that he didn't have great things. I, I, I love Cesar Milan. I think that you can pick up a lot of stuff, but, um, he is such a talented dog trainer. Um, he doesn't really get, you're not going to get a lot of advanced stuff. It's just very basic, uh, philosophical things as, as much as, as, as the psychology. Um, but anyway, um, I'm, I'm not disparaging those people because I think that those people are great. And there's a couple other people on YouTube that I watch, but the main person that I watch and that I actually spent my own money is a, a guy named Mike Ridlin. And Mike Ridlin has a book uh, that I, I encourage you guys to read. It's called Team Dog. It's a New York Times bestseller. But it talks a lot about um, not Cane Corsos, but um, dog training. And why I like Mike Ridlin is because he he was a Navy SEAL for 12 years and he trained military working dogs and trains working dogs, protection dogs. And so he understands dogs like Cane Corsos that have high drive, high predatory instincts, and um, high protection drive as well. Um, he does a lot of behavior modifications, confidence stuff uh, that that to me uh, kind of cross matriculate into, <laughs> if that's a word, into the realm of Cane Corsos. Um, he mainly deals with like your German Shepherds and Belgian Malinois and stuff, but a lot of his methods uh, I think work very well, and I like his structured methodical, military-minded approach to dog training is something that I, I can buy into. So I actually bought his training series. It's like $100 a year uh, where I have access to all his videos. You can go through his training certifications and get certified in like canine CPR and all this stuff. So I'm currently doing all that stuff right now. Um, there's great, he has some great tips and he's been training dogs professionally for like 20 years. And the highest level of dogs, I mean, military working dogs uh, for the Navy SEALs. So um, I think he's a fantastic resource. And his company, if you look up Team Dog or Tricos, or he has a couple different uh, companies, but just look up Team Dog, uh, Mike Ritlin. Um, he does, he has he, uh, a lot of stuff online, social media, and th things of that nature. Um, I find his, his stuff to be pretty good. Now I have used a trainer, a local trainer for like Romulus's basic obedience and his advanced obedience when he was a puppy. Um, I think when your dog's a puppy, any trainer that knows what they're doing, because a, a, 
a puppy, your the basic stuff is kind of the basics for every breed, to be honest with you. Once they start to have develop their breed specific behavior tendencies, that's when you want to get something that's a little bit more specified, at least in my experience, in my opinion. Uh, especially Connie Corsos, you got to find um, the right fit. And so that's why I'm always leery about telling people, hey, just go uh, get a professional. For instance, um, I had somebody that was, uh, we're going back and forth on the forums about getting a professional and this person needs to get a professional. And I was always encouraging the person, no, try this, try this, try this. And they're like, no, you just need to get a professional. Well, not everybody has access to a professional. I live in a mountain town of 18,000 people and there's not very many professional trainers out there that are familiar with the breed of a Cane Corso. I'm the only one in my town that has a Cane Corso to my knowledge. So it's not a well-established breed in some of the smaller communities. And so it's important that you find someone that's comfortable with working with the breed. The, the trainer that I used with Romulus when he was younger, when he was a puppy, is not comfortable working with him as an adult just because he's just too intense for her. I got it. You know, but that's why, why would I go to a professional, quote unquote? And that's someone that's been training dogs for 15 years uh, or more. So not all professionals are created equal. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I encourage you guys to look on the Facebook forums. And I'll tell you the uh, the Connie Corso training forums um, is fantastic. And the other trainer that I'm going to, uh, that I recently discovered his name is Oscar uh, Mora, M-O-R-A. And he has something called the Elevated Canine Academy. He is a professional trainer. And he does, uh, his forum on Facebook is is just the, I think it's just called the Conic Corso Training Group. And then uh, ECA afterwards, which is his Elevated Training Academy or Elevated Canine Academy. Man, when you watch this dude, and he has a Connie Corso, um, and he trains Connie Corsos. I haven't really got really deep into it. Like I'm assuming he trains other people's too, but he has working dogs and advanced training. This isn't like your basic stuff. Man, you watch, and I think there's a video, I think it's his daughter that's like doing, uh, giving the dog commands, and the dog is just, like Romulus is good, and I always think, man, I got this dog pretty well trained. And then I see guys like him in his videos and I go, holy cow, that's on another level. And so it's inspiring to me because I see this stuff and I go, wow, I can, that's something to aspire to. That Romulus, um, Mike Ridland calls it sloppy with like when, when Romulus goes to heal, he's not exactly in the perfect position and I'm not disciplined enough to to enforce it every time. And I, Oh, that's good enough. And I, you know, mark and reward and it's, he sits sloppy or he lays down sloppy and he's just kind of like half assing it. And I need to be a little bit more deliberate in, in, uh, in correcting him with those little things. And so that's why I'm going back through some of my basic stuff with Romulus just to clean up some of that stuff. So when I go to the advanced, we're not having some of these, issues. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if, if, if you ever take an algebra class in college, if you haven't taken algebra in a while, you might take a, like a, a pre-algebra first, um, to kind of brush up on some of that stuff. 
because if your fundamentals are bad, if your arithmetic, you know, your multiplication and division aren't on point, your algebra is going to suck too, right? So it's the same concept with dog training. So right now, that's what I'm focused on. And, you know, finding him and discovering one, his form is probably one of the better forms. You don't have as many toxic people. Um, I've run into people on some of the forums where if you try to offer people's advice, I'll tell you right now, I didn't have a lot of problems till I started this podcast. And then you get people that I don't know what it is, but they, uh, I had a couple people like actively trying to get people not to listen to me because they're like, he's not a professional. I was like, well, I never claimed to be. Um, but just like your neighbor isn't a professional, if you ask them parenting advice, because they've had teenagers, <laughs> you know, um, I think that there's a lot of people that can learn from one another. Um, and then, like I said, when you're having advanced problems, you consult a professional. Um, but yeah, listen to episode seven, I think, where I talk about people, you know, kind of hating on me a little bit. But with that being said, uh, this guy's form, Oscar's, um, people are genuinely trying to help each other and they're not sharpshooting is what we call it in the military. People, they're just trying to, you know, talk crap and, 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 you know, uh, feel threatened by whatever. I don't, I don't know where those people come from, but it's a, it's a good place. Um, and they specifically talk a little bit more about training and training issues that they're having. Um, and that, that's a normal thing. Uh, so I, I'm a big proponent of trying to find solutions and trying to find a way for you to implement solutions the way that you know how, because your dog, especially if you've been a Connie Corso owner or a dog owner, whatever dog, but especially your Connie Corso, let's say you, you've had your Connie Corso for eight months. That dog speaks your language and you speak his. And so if you can refine your training techniques, um, it's going to be um, most of the time better uh, if, if you implement those things that you learn than just having someone new. Because if someone new comes in and trains your dog, they might be the best Connie Corso trainer ever. Well, now that dog speaks his language and not yours. And so either one, your dog has to be trained toward your language or what ends up happening is you're going to have to learn that new trainer's language because if your dog responds to the way he trains then you have to do it the exact same way and so it's it's better to get your game up than let somebody else um, with a high game train your dog and your game stays the same, it's always going to revert to its lowest level of training. Okay. Um, so if, if you hire a professional that fixes all your problems, uh, miraculously, if you don't fix what caused those, your dog's problems in your training, then it's always going to revert back to that lowest level of training. Um, so just remember that take uh, take the lead. Really do your research and try to figure out the best methods and be committed to it. Um, I think most people, their their problem is they consult professionals because they go in the backyard and they try to give their dog some commands and not they don't understand like 
this is what you do first, this is what you do second, this is what you do third. Mike Ridland's series, if you have $100 to pay for it, um, you know, try it out. I'm not, like I said, I'm not, he didn't sponsor or any, anything like that. I just, I discovered it. Um, I like how he breaks down a little bit more regimented basic training stuff. Um, and then he has like, okay, this is what you do next. And then more advanced stuff. Um, and just get those reps in. More than anything, if you just really focus on the basics, don't try to do your get your dog to pirouette and do all kinds of crazy tricks. Just basic obedience will make your life that much easier if you can, you know, not even off the leash stuff, on the leash. Get your dog to listen to you when it's on the leash and you're you're gonna have so such a better ownership experience, especially with this breed, but any breed really. So um, like I said, I'm not a professional. So those are two people that me personally, Johnny Doe, I endorse both those people. I think there's a lot to be learned from them. But more than anything, I want everyone listening to this to realize if you have a Connie Corso and you're relatively new and you feel like you're in over your head, you might be but it doesn't mean you always have to be. You can up your game and with if you have or if you are motivated to find solutions, you will find them. And it doesn't mean the solution will just fix quote unquote something. It's like anything else. Think of it this way. Your car might have a flat tire right now. You can repair it. You could take it somewhere and get a brand new tire. It doesn't mean nothing will go wrong with your car. It's a management thing. You could go uh, two weeks and you got another blowout, your brakes go out. Or you could go two years without it ever going back to the shop. But more than likely, if you go two years without ever needing another repair on your car, it's because you're doing all the maintenance, you're treating it right, you're putting good gas in it, good oil, you're uh, doing all the things you're supposed to do as a good owner of that automobile and you're gonna have relatively easy ownership experience, right? If you treat your car like crap, if you give it crappy oil, if you don't pay it any attention, you leave it out in the terrible weather, um, you you know uh, don't you know your little engine light comes on, you just ignore it, you're gonna have catastrophic problems. And you can't just hire a mechanic every single time. Um, and then treat your car like crap again because something else will break. It's the exact same thing with dog ownership, especially a Connie Corso. You have to make sure to maintain. And then when a little problem arises, go consult a professional, get some advice, take some training, um, get some a training series, read a book, whatever, and then bring it back and give that use that knowledge to maintain that consistency and just realize that you have the responsibility, okay? It's on you. Take that responsibility to heart, and I promise you're going to find solutions to your problems. Promise you, okay? Like I said, you might not be at 100%, but you'll be um, a lot better off than you would have been, okay? So always know that your dog might not be the best, but it can always be better. Always have that mindset and not only that, but you can be a better trainer and a better owner. Because if you are the best trainer you can be, the best owner you can be, 
your dog is the best version it can be, the best dog um, and and most confident and the best version uh, of, of, of the dog that it can be, you're going to get the most out of that experience. And why wouldn't you want that? Don't you want the most out of your dog? And it wants the most out of you. And so that that is the bond that you guys can have at a higher level if you're willing to put in the work and and you make your dog put in the work as well. So that's going to uh, do it for this episode of the Connie Corso Experience. As always, thank you for sharing this. Thank you for interacting. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Um, I love all you guys out there. Please give love to your Connie Corsos on my behalf. Um, and thank you for tuning in. You can check me out on Instagram, the Connie Corso X or Johnny Doe on Facebook, or the Connie Corso Experience does have a little page you can like. Um, but no matter if it's it's all of those or none of those, thank you for interacting. And of course, afootpodcast.com, click on the tab, the Connie Corso Experience. Um, and yeah, till next time, be kind to man's best friend. Excuse me, that's, let me, let me start that over again. <laughs> I'm not editing this. So I just kind of uh, sound like I had some marbles in my mouth. So here's my here's how I end every episode. Be kind to man's Five, best friend. Till next time. Three, peace. Two, one. <laughs> <laughs>